Well, good morning. You can be seated. We have a special guest this morning, George Verrer, and I'm going to give you an introduction from Wikipedia. How's that go? I don't, I've never done a, a Wikipedia introduction, but I liked what, some of what they put on there. George was born on July 3rd, 1938, so he's a very young man. He's the founder of Oper Operation Mobilization. He's written several books on various Christian themes. I can tell you from my experience and listening and knowing George the little that I do, he's passionate about radical discipleship. A ton of books outside that you'll see. Some are giveaways, and George will tell you more about that. But a lot of books to challenge us in our faith in Christ and our walk with him. He feels it's the only legitimate option for people who believe in Jesus, and that is radical discipleship. His first contact with Christianity was through his neighbor, Dorothea Clapp, who gave him the Gospel of John and also put him on her, quote, Holy Ghost hit list. So George attributes to her some of the reason that he made a commitment to Christ and for what God has done from there. He was converted at the age of 16 when Billy Graham spoke in Madison Square Garden in New York City. They have that right? Within a year, about 200 of his classmates came to know Christ. He has a growing conviction to evangelize on foreign soil. So he started with distribution of the Gospel of John in Mexico in 1957, along with two friends. They called the, this operation, quote, send the light. This continued with, other, uh, this continued with others during summer holidays. Afterward, George used the name send the light for a book distribution operation to India based in the United Kingdom. This has since developed into Send the Light, the largest Christian book distributor in the United Kingdom. Once while taking Bibles into USSR, George was arrested and accused of being a spy. He was deported and, and, and sent back to Spain. Is that right? After a time in prayer in 1961, the work of Operation Mobilization was born. George often refers to this calling himself as God's bungler rather than you guys know about Brother Andrew, God's smuggler? Well, he tried, and he got arrested and accused of being a spy. So in August 2003, he handed over the international leadership of the work of Operation Mobilization to Peter Maiden, who was the associate international director for 15 years. So George and his wife, Drina, now live in, now involved in special projects ministries full-time. They still travel and take meetings around the world. So they have three children and five grandchildren. So, George, we are so thankful that you're here with us. Would you give a warm welcome to George this morning? Thank you. Privileged to be back. I've followed this ministry from early days. I think this is my third or fourth uh, visit. I've tried to remember the ministry in prayer. One of my close friends came to hear me speak one of the times I came here, Marilyn Sears, and I think she's been... Uh, linked with you ever since. She'll probably come maybe the second service. What an amazing woman with me as the leader of our whole women's ministry in the very, very early days. It's great to be back in Seattle. It's one of my favorite cities in my top 100 cities in the world group. And um, I just appreciate the privilege of, of sharing because the fire is still on my heart. I've just been in Memphis last weekend. And what God is doing there in different churches is quite Amazing. The weekend before that was Detroit. That was completely off the hinges as God is doing tremendous things in Detroit. Our great God is doing just phenomenal things all over the world. That's why it's quite a shock to me to meet quite a few Americans, trust none of them here today, who seem to be fairly negative about everything, are mainly reading conspiracy panic books and sending and listening to all kinds of weird emails 
like it's, it's all pretty finished. Of course, the Lord can return at any time, but the fact is we're in the midst of the greatest harvest of people to Christ the world has ever known. And the United States of America is right at the heart of it, right at the heart of it. Any country where you live yourself, of course, you see the negative stuff. If you lived in Brazil, a land of phenomenal church growth, you would see more problems, heartaches, crazy things, even among the Lord's people than you can ever fill a book with. If it were China, it'd be the same thing. If it were South Korea, which is considered the revival zone of the world, you wouldn't even imagine the problems that they have there in the government, in the church, everywhere. Because this is a fallen planet. This is a rebellious planet. And as A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors said, nothing is right, will ever be put right until put right by the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus. And of course, our God thinks very differently than we do. I think in, uh, only in the last maybe 20 years, as I came into sort of a greater understanding of grace, did I realize how merciful our Lord is, our living God is, especially when we are redeemed by the precious blood of his son, the Lord Jesus. We're told that language is no longer popular. That language is more popular on the planet than ever before in history. It may not be on your street. And this is one of the challenges as we talk about vision, grace, and action. One of the challenges is to be able to think small picture as well as big picture. <clears throat> what does that mean? Small picture is your own street, your own family, your own church, your own situation. Maybe going well. It may not be going so well. A lot of people in Great Britain, they're now in churches <clears throat> that are shrinking. Some water somewhere. Okay. Well, just wait a minute. Don't want to lose any time. <clears throat> they're in churches that are shrinking. They're in difficult situations. And many believers around the world, sorry to say this, they're discouraged. They're not seeing the answers to prayer they're hoping for. Uh, many believers have at least some difficulties in their family. I've been on the phone all week with friends all over the place, hundreds of emails, and most people everywhere are faced in their small picture world, they're faced with some problems. It's normal. They're faced with some heartbreaks. I was speaking at a church in Spokane area. Um, when was that? I knew it. No, I was speaking in Calvary Chapel, Boise, one of my favorite Calvary chapels, Bob Caldwell. A lady sitting in the meeting was planning suicide. And God put it on my heart to share from 1 Peter chapter 1 and from James chapter 1, making me very clear that suffering is a normal part of walking with God. Everybody is going to suffer in one way or the other. It's promised in the scripture. And this lady, when she came in, was contemplating suicide. She had so many problems. Everything was going wrong in her life. But somehow those scriptures gave her that ray of hope. And she wrote me telling how she decided not to take her own life, but press on for Jesus. There might even be someone this morning, maybe not to that extreme, but it's been pretty rough lately. You haven't seen those answers to prayer. You haven't seen those dreams come true. You've got some difficulties maybe in your own family. Um, that's your small picture. Of course, small picture is important. In my life, a lot of my time, it's not preaching, it's not traveling around the world. I do some of that. A lot of my time is small picture. I have a wife, 
five grandchildren, uh, two Brits, three Americans, not exactly living near each other. I'm probably here because my son is with me this morning, decided to take his English bride, surprise us out of our shoes and move to Idaho. I don't, you know, he didn't quite go far enough, but there he is in Idaho and he's with us and you can meet him at the book table. By the way, this amazing book table, all the books by the door as you go out, they're free. Uh, but a maximum of two books, please. The main book table's over here, a large selection of books, any donation, tremendous books by Randy Alcorn, The Purity Principle, one of the greatest, most needy messages in America today. His other fantastic book that's impacted hundreds of thousands of lives, Purity Principle. His pro-life book, that one's on the free table. Uh, and I have the joy in Special Projects Ministry of putting this into many, many languages, at least several dozen, because most countries, Christians don't have a single pro-life book in their language. And you just cannot even imagine how out of control abortion is, even among professing Christians around the world. If I had an extra hour, I'd talk to you about that. But instead, I have to get that book into your hand. Here's Alcorn's Grace and Truth. Two of the hardest things to put together as we're traveling God's road and we're thinking of this theme are grace and truth. How does that fit together? We've all met people that are sort of hyper on truth with a little bit of, with not so much love and very little grace. Those people are switching more people off to the gospel of Jesus than any other group, I think, in the United States, more than Muslims, more than atheists. People who have the truth and they love to bash people with it. They usually got several other major agendas they know how to hit people with, but there's a lack of love, a lack of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, <coughs> a lack of this grace we're talking about this morning. So the small picture world is very important. But sometimes when that's not going so well, we need to look at the big picture. And I want you to do that this morning. You, you, you know your own picture, small picture world. Your pastors and leaders, week after week, they're sharing what your church is doing right here, which is incredibly important. But why does God bring in someone like me from London, England? I don't get that much time in the United States. It's to give you that bigger picture. What's God's action as we look at the big picture? So I wear my global jacket, which you can see doesn't make much of an impact anymore. When I first wore it, that was a big deal. Now I've got to show my global underwear to get the impact. <laughs> really. <clears throat> and my wife, is uh, I did that at a big Christian rock festival. Really, 120 rock bands there in the big thing outside Chicago. And I thought this could be the first place for me to show my, uh, you know, my global underwear because they're all rock and rollers. <laughs> they're all free. It was around midnight when I did the strip. And I, I never realized how conservative some of these music people were. <laughs> Quite offended that I took off my trousers in their special uh, concert that got back to my wife. And then it got on, I think, even on YouTube and has really not helped my ministry, I think, <laughs> closing many doors around the world. And so I hope this morning we can, we can think big picture. And that's not to say your small picture world is not important or mine is not important. But it's what God has put on my heart for these moments together, which can encourage you 
in your own situation because you get a bigger view of God, a bigger view of what God is doing, and especially what God is doing through ordinary people. Whenever I come back, it's usually a few years past, there's a lot of new people. I like to esteem the new people. So I want to give you my own story really quickly. My grandfather from the Netherlands, and my father came from the Netherlands as well. My grandfather was an atheist. Not a great legacy for me. My other grandfather was Scottish, Irish, and English blood combined, huh? That's basically toxic. <laughs> he was an alcoholic. My grandmother divorced him. I hardly ever met him. I remember meeting him when he was dying of alcoholism in the hospital. So much for my Christian legacy. And at 16, let me tell you, I was one happy kid. I had never had an unhappy day in my life that I can remember. I had parents, I found out later, who were seekers. They were like good people trying to find their way, but didn't know the gospel. And uh, somehow I had a great sister and a great home. I loved sports. I was just so thrilled playing basketball and baseball. And uh, then I got into all kinds of hobbies. Then I got in the Boy Scouts. Couldn't get in the Girl Scouts. I got in the Boy Scouts. And uh, then I got involved in a church. This church was like a social club. They didn't believe the Bible. But they, they, you know, a lot of nice girls there. They became the president of the youth fellowship, became the assistant to the pastor, sort of the blind leading the blind club. And then I went in business. I uh, learned how to sell different things and got tied into a brand new fire extinguisher out of a, the Jewish guy out of New York City near where I lived. And I began selling this fire extinguisher and making quite a lot of money. And then this woman you read about in Wikipedia, she heard about me. I broke into a house. Police caught me there. I wasn't really stealing. I was just looking around, but the police had other ideas. So people started talking about me. And this woman of God lived right near my high school, not near my home, but near my high school, put my name, Hunter Prayerless, not only prayed, listen to this, that I become a Christian. She prayed that I become a missionary. She prayed for revival in that high school, which came in the next few years in a, in a small way, and that God would do great things through my life. And then Billy Graham, like a spiritual tornado straight out of heaven, came to New York City. Not the famous crusade of 57. One night stand, preaching for Jack Wurston, a converted band leader in New York City. And he gave the gospel. My, the biggest thing in my life, of course, was girls. Not jumping in bed, and having sex, but just major romance and kissing up a storm whenever I possibly could. And so by 16, about 32 different girls had blown my romantic circuits. And of course, dancing became one of my biggest passions and just having a great time when this woman, this interferer <laughs> came into my life. And if any of you are here this morning and really in your heart, you want to, you want to live your own life you want to live your own selfish life. Let me give you a little advice. Don't sit near these people. Don't sit near, you know, any praying women. Praying men, that's not such a problem. But don't sit near <laughs> praying women. And don't give them your name. This lady got my name. Very specific prayer. By the way, she was a visionary. She had this vision to reach the whole world with the gospel. She's an ordinary housewife with several children living in little Ramsey, New Jersey. 
But that's what God does when you have a vision and you take some action, even small things. We've got Gospels of John available free of charge at that book table. We're hoping some of you are not going to be, as C.T. Studd said, nibblers of the possible, but grabbers of the impossible. Take a whole box of these and ask the Lord how you could distribute them maybe in the weeks to come. So this woman was a grabber of the impossible, even from her little kitchen, an ordinary woman that changed the course in some ways of global missions. God, in his amazing way of working, was birthing a movement that would give a training experience to over 200,000 people, that would give the gospel, we stopped counting 25 years ago, to 1 billion people face-to-face, excluding all the radio and television, that would raise up a ship ministry. We're on our fourth ship now, a much bigger ship of 12,000 ton with 350 people living on board in Japan right now, that would give the word of God to 100 million people, that would impact places like India, where we have 3,000 churches in our network, 110 schools among the Dalits, and every kind of ministry you can imagine to prevent sex trafficking, to prevent HIV, AIDS, and all of these global challenges. And still, though we love to graduate people and send them into their home, back to the home church, or into other mission agencies, about 25,000 of our graduates are in leadership. We still have 6,000 full-time working with us even as we sit here this morning. I myself have had the joy of preaching more than 20,000 times and visiting close to 100 nations. One woman prayed. Can you imagine the potential in this meeting this morning, in this fellowship this morning? If there's that vision and if there's that grace and if there's that action. I went back to, well, I went to that Billy Graham meeting and heard the gospel, and I was saved by his grace. To be honest, in those early years of my Christian life, I had lots of difficulties, but I was radically committed to him. I kept sort of recommitting every day as I discovered new passages of scripture that were so powerful, and I read about these disciples roaring through the pages of the book of Acts, which became my favorite book in the Bible. And God continued to change my life. My biggest struggle was still with girls. Somebody gave me the idea now as a Christian, I couldn't kiss girls. This is just unbelievable. And, uh, you know, I needed a, a clear verse, thou shall not kiss. So I didn't find it. In fact, I found a verse, a kissing verse. So I just kept kissing any girls available. And, uh, and then someone else gave me the idea that now that I was a Christian, I couldn't dance. So many of you are younger, you may not realize how uh, legalistic the church was back in the 50s and 60s, many churches to this day. And before we're too judgmental on them, we need to understand that was the culture. That's all these people knew. And so we then wonder, how, why was God doing such great things when they were, there were these glaring weaknesses? You might want to ask something heavier. Why was God doing so much in South Africa among white people during apartheid, huh? Or why was God doing so much in the southern part of our country when we were still practicing slavery? That wasn't so long ago. And when I went to Tennessee to study, we were still practicing still practicing segregation. Blew my circuits as a little New Jersey ignorant kid who was actually a racist without even knowing it. And this is something I want to just share with you, even though some people I know don't grasp it. 
God thinks and acts very differently than we do. He is more merciful. He, of course, sees the big picture. Of course, he wanted slavery to stop. Of course, he wanted segregation to, to get finished. Of course, he hated apartheid. Yet in his mysterious way of working that we'll never fully grasp, he was doing mighty things at the same time. That's why in the States, though we feel concerned about some things in the government, we feel concerned about some of the trends, even in churches and society, we should realize God is still working. God is working as much in America as any nation I've ever been in. And we need to be courageous and we need to be filled with faith. God gave me, because for years I was trying to explain this to people and I would, uh, I'm sure I wasn't getting my point across and the Lord was very merciful. He gave me my own new word just to explain this so people can remember. You ready for my word? Messiology. Not missiology, that's the theology of missions, a proper word that you can find in the dictionary, even in England. <laughs> messiology is based on a George Verwer proverb, which I've been preaching for 35 years. It's not going to get into the book of Proverbs. I don't even know how to apply. But my book of my proverb is where, and I think I've quoted this here before, where two or three of the Lord's people are gathered together, sooner or later there's a mess. How many of you have ever experienced that among God's people? Well, the majority group. For some, this is very discouraging. I urge you, beware of unrealistic, unbiblical expectation of the church, of people, of yourself, of your family, of anybody. Live in a real world, a fallen world where things go wrong where even Christian leaders sin and where the enemy, of course, as a roaring lion, seeketh whom he, whom he may devour. Never give up in your pursuit of holiness. That's why I feed on books on one hand by A.W. Tozer and on the other hand, books by Philip Yancey, like What's So Amazing About Grace or Swindoll's Grace Awakening, which helped revolutionize my own thinking so that I was in many ways a much happier believer in Jesus. I had this strong negative streak. I've shared about this before. Always could see the dark side. Always could see the problems. At times quite critical. Hurting my own wife with my criticism. Maybe 35 years ago, God was just breaking me about becoming more positive. Verses like that one in Philippians. Think on that which is pure, that which is of good report. And he gave me this crisis experience. I know some of you heard this. I was in Pakistan. It was a very key meeting I was speaking at in the cathedral. An OM leader came to me and he said, look, uh, could you really be careful what you say tomorrow? The bishop, the leader of the church of, North of Pakistan is going to be in the meeting. And could you be careful? Knowing I say at least two stupid things in every sermon. So I said, look, I will try my best. Huh? Then another OM leader came to me. This is before I had these global jackets. And I just dressed with clothing I got out of the missionary clothing barrel. A lot of it didn't fit, and I didn't really care, so I wasn't a very good dresser. This leader came to me, I never forget it. Could you dress properly? In Pakistan, in the church, they were still in suit and ties in those days. Could you dress properly for the meeting tomorrow? A little reluctantly, I said I would. Here I am the next day. I'm in the cathedral, suit and tie on, looked like an undertaker. I was really... 
I was really trying my best. Guess what? As I tried my best in front of the bishop, a pigeon flew over me, tromped its load on my sleeve. Huh? Negative thinkers, huh? Typical, right? Is this the kind of week you've just had? But God was doing a new thing in me. I just looked at him and I said, praise the Lord, the elephants don't fly. I've never been the same. I want to encourage you when you walk out of the door of this church this morning, this place where the word of God is faithfully taught to go out more positive. Maybe you already are positive to go out of here more positive than when you came in, believing in a sovereign God who works in the midst of horrendous, difficult, heartbreaking situations like the crisis in Central Africa, like the crisis in Syria, like the crisis in Ukraine, like the crisis you may feel we're having in our own government. God is on a whole different plan. Let's get into his plan and start rejoicing more and praising God. I picked up a book that really helped me as I used to get uptight on little issues, which was very destructive in my marriage. And I picked up this little book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And I realized how I'd been sinning against the living God through getting upset. With me, it was often very subtle about things that weren't really that important. Sometimes it's good to sit back and say, what really are the important things in my life? Probably it's a pretty small list. And firstly, it's knowing God and walking in his grace, in his grip, as I would express it, walking in vision, in grace, and in action. As we look at this globe, we realize how complex it is. And I know you have a passion for world missions and you send out workers. Almost the first place I came to as I arrived this morning, and this is a new uh, building for me, I walked up to your world map. What a tremendous map. And as I looked at that map, I realized I've been in every single part of the entire world. Of course, I've missed many individual countries, especially small ones. And I just stood before that map, and then I saw the pictures of some of the people that you are supporting. I commend you for that. I know it's not easy. I know some of them may return from the front lines of spiritual combat, hurt or wounded, sometimes even discouraged. Some, of, some who return from the field have difficulty fitting into even local churches' situations. Some of them actually become negative. I saw some of our own wor OM workers. Be, when they went back home, suddenly they were sharing with me these negative things because it wasn't quite like what they were experiencing in Brazil or South Africa or some other part of the world. That's why I urge people, I urge people to saturate themselves with passages like 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to read that passage this morning as a scripture reading and as a very, very important part of what I want to share. If you have a Bible, and I'm reading from uh, the New International Version, but if you have a Bible, turn, please, to 1 Corinthians 13 and allow the Holy Spirit of God to just minister to your heart through this great passage. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. By the way, Swindoll in his book, Grace Awakening, makes it really clear 
that the kind of grace he's talking about, horizontal grace, is really 1 Corinthians love, God's grace, because of the indwelling Christ, working out through our lives. Vertical grace is God's grace saving us as he did in my life back in Madison Square Garden so many years ago. So this is really a chapter about grace, though the focus, of course, is love. I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mystery and all knowledge. And I have faith that I can move mountains, but do not have love. I am nothing. If I, if I give all I possess to the poor, wow, radical discipleship. Give even my body to hardship so that I may boast, but do not have love. I gain nothing. Love is patient. God has so used that. Going right back to my first few months after marriage. By the way, after all this complexity with all these different girls, especially leading one to Christ and kissing her for the next hour and then another one kissing away in a church parking lot and another one in a car where the police caught us, I decided that uh, I needed to go cold turkey. I went for two years, no girlfriends, no kissing. That's when I went to Mexico. That's when I learned Spanish. That's when I memorized hundreds of verses. That's when God did the greatest transformation work in my life so that before I was 20, I was ready for marriage, ready to be thrust out to Spain and then India and these other places that I had the privilege of pioneering. By the way, after those two years, I left the university studies and transferred to Moody Bible Institute. Just tell you about that experience in a moment. Boy, I'm still a young Christian. I arrive at Moody. They're all born-again girls. Woo! Some really attractive ones. I was infatuated with seven in the first seven days, crying out for mercy and having this two-year fast, wondering whether I should make a move. But I just hung on to God and didn't do anything. They, a lot of them were carrying big King James Bibles anyway. They probably, like you kiss one, you get hit in the head with a Bible. So I didn't kiss any girls at Moody. And then because of my passion for evangelism, a passion we, we all should have, and there's a new movement moving through Seattle and the West Coast, giving a greater emphasis on how to win people to Jesus right here in our own culture, even if they come from Somalia or Afghanistan or some other part of the world. I'm thrilled about that. It's been written up in Frontier Magazine. I'm, uh, I think we're going to be focusing a little on that meeting I have tomorrow in this missions uh, leaders event connected with Mission Fest, which is such a great movement here in Seattle. And because of that passion for evangelism, I went the extra mile, some people's minds, to go and rent a film, a, an evangelistic film from the Moody Institute of Science. Guess what? The woman in charge of the films was to be God's choice for me. I saw her immediately, broke my fast, moved in on the target, <laughs> said something completely stupid. Um, she never met any loudmouths from New Jersey, New York City. She's a little quiet girl from Wisconsin. Uh, so that didn't really accomplish anything. And then I managed to get her on a first date. I've told you this story before. And I, this, you know, I gotta try to scare her. This might not be from God. You know, the, the, was it the Gideon Fleece thing? Do you know that story? So I said, look, probably nothing gonna happen between you and me, but you need to know I'm gonna become a missionary. And if you marry me, probably you will be eaten alive by cannibals in New Guinea. 
You would think I'd wait at least for the second or third date before throwing out that information. Anyway, for me, it was love at first sight. For her, it was fright at first sight. She'll be here during the second service. 54 years of incredible holy med uh, deadlock. I mean, wedlock <laughs> by the grace of God. She was God's choice. She had a love for Jesus. She had a vision for global missions. And we just launched out to Mexico. We didn't believe in honeymoons. It was so, one of the reasons I think God got a hold of her and to be willing to marry me is because she thought I was a man of God. She wanted to marry a man of God. And then she wanted to maybe, she was very interested in Bible teaching. And, and she heard my teaching. I gave her, I took advantage of that and gave her that key verse out of Ephesians 5. Not the whole chapter, it's a key verse. Submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And she just accepted it, hook, line, and sinker. She married me. She gave me all of her money. She'd be a millionaire today if she'd given it to Sam Walton. <laughs> she gave it to me. Her father was killed in the war. She had money from the inheritance. And um, she agreed that we wouldn't spend any money only for evangelism. So we didn't have any honeymoon. We didn't hardly had even a wedding. Just a little thing after the Sunday morning service, a little reception. I think people brought their own food. Headed for Mexico. We're living on the floor to the back of a bookshop because I wouldn't a store. I wouldn't spend any money for an apartment. And uh, we were even eating very little to put more money into Bibles. And by God, we had a tremendous marriage <laughs> for several weeks. <laughs> and she read the other verses. She read the whole chapter. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Hey, husbands, how many are doing well on that one? From one to ten. Isn't that one of the greatest challenges People sometimes ask me, especially when I stepped out of the leadership and mainly give myself to ministry and the special projects program. By the way, I have projects in about 100 nations. It's now a budget of 2 million a year and God has blessed it more than I can dream. Plus it's kept me very busy so that I've not been involved in the international leadership of the movement, which I think has helped our movement progress. And Peter Maiden, who you just heard about, has recently turned over the leadership to a Chinese brother, Lawrence tongue so you can imagine i have a lot to thank the lord for as i look back these 54 years of marriage and five 59 years of walking with jesus i only share this just to bring into balance this this basic teaching that everybody backslides everybody has miserable times and does you know grows lukewarm or loses their first love. I know that. I've seen 150,000 come back to Jesus in one way or the other in my meetings. I honor them. I love them. I spend time with them. But that's not my testimony. I have to stick to my testimony. Every single day since that conversion, March 3rd, 1955, every single day I've known the grace and the power of Jesus. Not in the absence of doubts and struggles, like I shared with it in the whole romance thing and mistakes. Like you, you heard how I got arrested by the uh, Soviets for smuggling. And to this day, I have struggles. Struggles with the lust of the eyes. Struggles with impatience. Lots of struggles with intellectual doubt. A Scottish theologian helped me when he said, great faith is not in the absence of doubt, but it's often in the midst of doubt. How can we be thinking people? Look out of the real world. Read some of the books and see the films that unbelievers hit us with. And we're not trying to live in a vacuum and not go through some doubts, some questions, some struggles. But I want to say to you all my, with all my heart, we worship the living God. 
Jesus was the Son of God. We can never fully grasp that. Our Muslim friends find it impossible to grasp that Jesus was the Son of God. And that's why we have to spend time with Muslims to be able to share. And I believe it's one of the greatest mission fields in America today. I've just come from Detroit where there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Muslims. Many are open to the gospel. Iranians especially are coming to Jesus. That's a whole separate message, but it's part of this challenge that our vision may increase this morning. But let's finish this great passage because whenever I read that challenge about patience, I just immediately think of God's mercy and God's forgiveness toward me in my failures in that area. Love is kind does not envy, does not boast, is not proud. Wow. Does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. So in-depth, so powerful. Love does, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, the big picture. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Cease where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When as I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childhood behind me. Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. And then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. Isn't this something you want to make a priority in your life? Isn't this Shouldn't this be the core of your family, your marriage, your relationships? Feed upon it. Memorize it. Hundreds of other similar passages like Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. Before I was even 18, these scriptures and messages from books that I had the privilege of reading transformed my ugly life and enabled me to then be a marathon runner in God's kingdom. Some people only experience that transformation much later down life's road. Some of them have become my closest friends. In one way, it doesn't matter. Many people feel they failed along life's road. Beware of focusing on your failure, failures. Beware of putting yourself down, thinking you're not spiritual. God loves you. You probably know the story I tell, I think every time I come, of the thunderstorm. The family in the thunderstorm, even the adults were nervous. The lightning was so bad, the thunder was so loud. Then they realized their little seven-year-old girl was alone up in the bedroom. They ran upstairs, and there the little girl was looking out the window. Boom, another flash of lightning. They said, are you okay? And she said, I'm fine. I think God is taking my picture. <laughs> I had never heard that a few years ago. And it ministered to me because I really, really get down on myself. There are things about myself and other people have reminded me of them that I really don't like. But I know God loves me more than I'm able to love myself. 
and it's his grace and his mercy and what Jesus did on the cross that's kept me going. A weak, struggling, needy character, a natural backslider if you've ever heard one, running the race these beautiful 59 years in the arms of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, go from here this morning filled with vision, filled with faith, and more of a person of grace, the big heartedness, the forgiveness, the extra mile, the quickness to bless and encourage rather than to criticize and point out evil and problems. And you also, I know, will be marathon runners. And when you stand before him, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. God bless you. Hallelujah.